Good morning. We will be studying Paul's letter to Philemon this morning, and Bruce said it took him about 10 minutes to find it. So I'll spare you the embarrassment. It's on page 1000 in your pew Bible, if you want to turn there. A one-chapter letter written by the Apostle Paul. It's the shortest of all of his letters, and we'll be spending our time there this morning. Before we start, will you please bow your heads in prayer with me? Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you that you have revealed yourself to us. Sinners who deserve your wrath, but you've given us the grace of hearing from you in your word and even revealing yourself to us through your son. I pray now that you will give me the words I need to display your word and all the glory that it deserves. And would you please give us all ears to hear and eyes to see wonderful things in your law. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, the junior high group, we had uh, our annual home outreach week. And what we do every year, the first week of August, is we travel all around the Chicagoland area and we do service projects at different ministries and camps. Uh, Not all of the work was very fun. Uh, But one of the jobs that I was able to do at one of the Christian camps was log splitting. And I made the mistake of calling it a mechanical log splitter because it's actually a hydraulic log splitter, which somebody told me between services. So it's a hydraulic log splitter. It was pretty cool. Uh, You know, you put the log up there, you pull the lever, the lever, the, the wedge comes down, and it splits the log. So, you know, I started off small, little branches, six inches in diameter, but it wasn't long before my inner lumberjack got the best of me. And I grabbed the biggest tree trunk that I could find, put it on that platform, pulled the lever, and the little wedge slowly but surely made its way all the way down the platform and diced that thing into two nearly identical halves and they crashed to the ground. And therein, we have a picture of the effect that sin can have in our relationships. There's a small wedge on that machine, but sins big and small as they work their way slowly and surely between us can cut in half a marriage, a friendship, uh, family members. And it can do so to the extent that we wonder if there's any hope. Is there any hope that the two halves can be put back together? And Paul's letter to Philemon gives us that hope. Philemon was a slave owner. Onesimus was his slave. Onesimus sinned against Philemon, and Paul is writing to Philemon on Onesimus' behalf. He says it in verse 10, I'm writing you to appeal for my child, Onesimus. And as we see the instruction that Paul gives to Philemon, we too will receive instruction. We can see how we can in fact experience reconciliation in our relationships where sin has created a wedge. Let's dig in. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here is in prison in Rome. He is under what you might compare to our today house arrest. He's in his own rented house, but he is chained to a Roman guard. He can have visitors come and visit with him, and he can uh, still engage in gospel ministry as, as he is doing here in Rome. Philemon is the primary recipient of this letter. Aphia could be his wife, possibly, and Archippus is probably one of the leaders in the church there. Uh, the church is in Colossae, and this church was probably, or this letter, Philemon, was probably brought along with the letter to Colossians at the same time. And this letter to Philemon is also a public letter as well as a private letter. It's to the church as well that meets in Philemon's house. So maybe today Paul would have sent an email to Philemon and then cc'd everybody else in the church. But it's to Philemon primarily, but it's for the benefit of everybody there. And as we dig into this letter, we're going to see two attitudes. Two attitudes that are necessary for us to embody if we are going to experience reconciliation in a relationship where sin has entered. On the one hand, there's Philemon. He is the one who has been offended. There is Onesimus, the one who has sinned against Philemon. And each of them will embody some sort of attitude that we must also embody ourselves in order for us to experience reconciliation. So the first one, uh, on Philemon's behalf here, is the attitude of selfless love. The attitude of selfless love is what characterizes Philemon, what, is what gives hope that he will experience reconciliation with Onesimus. And Paul points this out four times in the first few verses here of this letter. The first one we already saw in verse 2. The church that meets in Philemon's house. He loved the saints so much that he invited them to his home. He hosted the church services there. He loved to have fellowship with and to worship with those in the town of Colossae who also loved the Lord. Secondly, in verse 5, Paul says that he thanks God always when he remembers Philemon in his prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and the saints. Paul has heard of Philemon's love. Philemon has a reputation that has reached from Colossae all the way to Rome, that he is a loving person. He's the linchpin of love in this church. A third mention of Philemon's love is in verse 7. Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. Paul has also benefited from Philemon's characteristic of loving selflessness. And the reason Paul has benefited from that love, end of verse 7 here, is because the saints, the hearts of the saints, have been refreshed through you. So even as Philemon refreshes the hearts of the saints, he's also refreshing Paul. It's kind of like if your friend invited you to their house to hang out in their jacuzzi, to relax, and they're all ears for your problems, just want to help you and encourage you. That's the effect that Philemon had on this church because of his loving selflessness. 
And sandwiched between these compliments that Paul gives Philemon is the prayer that Paul prays for Philemon in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. We might ask ourselves, why is Paul praying that Philemon's faith become effective? Sure seems effective to me. He's so loving to all the people in this church, and he's so engaging in ministry, and he's sharing in that faith there. Why does Paul pray this for him? Well, it's because Onesimus is coming home. And as Onesimus comes home, and Philemon is going to have to engage in some interaction with with Onesimus over the sin that is between them, Paul wants Philemon to keep that selfless, loving attitude. He doesn't want him to switch and revert back into me-first mode. You can't forgive if you're in me-first mode, but you're tempted to when you've been sinned against. You're tempted to look at your own pain and your own hurt and how you've been wronged, and that can cause you and prevent you from actually forgiving. So Paul prays this prayer, keeping Philemon in that selfless, loving attitude. Let's look at this prayer in verse 6. He says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. Now, when we read or we hear, we use that term, sharing of your faith, we think of what? Evangelism, right? When you share your faith with somebody, you're telling somebody the gospel about Jesus. But here, Paul is probably referring to the faith that is shared with Philemon among the rest of the believers there in that church. And I say that because that's the context of everything that Paul is saying here to Philemon. It would be kind of awkward for uh, Paul to go from, you love all the saints, and by the way, make sure you're doing good evangelism. And by the way, you love all the saints, and I'm so glad for this. No, Paul is talking about the faith that he shares with all those other believers, that he would maintain that. And that he would keep that. It would become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And Paul says full knowledge there. He's saying, Philemon, you have to go beyond intellectual knowledge and move into the sphere of of experiential knowledge. You need head smarts and street smarts when it comes to every good thing that we have in Christ for his glory. Because that's what's going to be necessary to keep him others focused so he can perhaps, hopefully, forgive Onesimus. And Philemon is in for a pretty big surprise coming up here in verse 8. Because Philemon has come home, and here this, this letter is being read in the church at Colossae. That's what they would do when they would get a letter from Paul is they would read it as their church service. And he's about to get a big surprise regarding Onesimus. Philemon, who's so loving of all the saints, is about to find out that now Onesimus is a saint too. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also, For Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
What? Onesimus, he's a Christian now? That lazy slave is now a believer? Perhaps Philemon's reaction, yes, he is. Onesimus is a changed man. And this is the second attitude that we must have if we're going to experience reconciliation in our relationships. If we've been sinned against, not only must we maintain a selfless, loving attitude, sacrificing love of ourself because we must sacrifice if we're going to forgive, but also the one who has done the sin must have the attitude of change, must be committed to change, to repent of what they've done and make a turn. And that's what we see has happened for Onesimus. We see it in three ways in these uh, following verses. First of all, the spiritual change. So Paul is talking about there in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Onesimus has been born again. And in that born again experience, Paul has led Onesimus to the Lord. So Paul is his father and Onesimus is his son. He has the new spiritual life found in the resurrection of Christ. And as a byproduct, two other changes from that spiritual change. Secondly, verse 11, an ethical change. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. It appears that Onesimus wasn't the hardest of workers. And slaves from that region were actually notorious for being lazy. But his work ethic has changed. He's become a hard worker now. And he's doing a lot of hard work for Paul in his gospel ministry. And that's where we see the third change that Onesimus has enjoyed. A missional change. Verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Philemon having been, or Onesimus having been changed by the gospel is now working for the gospel. He's serving Paul as Paul is doing gospel ministry. I have the luxury of enjoying an administrative assistant. It's amazing. Important details that I don't even know about magically fall into place. While I focus on my students, while I focus on studying God's word, while I focus on prayer, that's the kind of help that Onesimus was supplying for Paul in Rome while Paul was in prison. But he's sending Onesimus back, verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. This whole experience of the change that Onesimus has been able to enjoy has brought him and Paul very close in a loving relationship. But Paul is sending Onesimus back because he knows that there's more reconciliation that has to happen. Not just between Onesimus and God, but between Onesimus and Philemon. Now, it would be tempting to settle for behavioral change, external change. But this change has to come from the heart. Onesimus is changed from the heart. And if you are going to experience reconciliation in your relationships, and if you're the culprit, you're the one that has sinned against somebody else, don't settle for external behavioral change. You might be thinking, um, man, my 
My, when my temper flares, it's really not good at work, and I sin against my coworkers, so I really need to control my temper more. No, that's behavioral change. You need to root the anger out of your heart. If you're fighting against a pornography habit and you're relying on computer software to do that work for you, to change your behavior, that's not going to work. You need to root the lust out of your heart. Heart change, full change, is what's necessary for full repentance and full reconciliation. And only the gospel can do it. And that's what has happened to Onesimus. The gospel has changed Onesimus. The gospel can change you. Paul wants Philemon to recognize the change that's happened in Onesimus. Verse 14. I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord." In these verses, there's two things that are tied to the situation here that we kind of need to parse out and try to figure out. First of all, how was it that Onesimus was parted from Philemon? He says this in verse 15, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you. And then as Onesimus comes back to Philemon, what does Paul mean when he says, more than a slave? As a beloved brother, he's supposed to receive him. Well, in regards to the parting, there's two views out there if you read the commentaries. One is that Onesimus ran away from Philemon. He was a runaway slave, which happened during that time. And as he was a runaway, uh, he experienced remorse, some guilt, and he's like, that was a bad idea. And he knew that Paul was an influential person in Philemon's life. So Onesimus goes to Paul before he goes back home to Philemon, hoping for some help. In this case, the sin that Onesimus committed was running away from Philemon. Another possibility is that Onesimus sinned against Philemon while in Colossae in that household. And Onesimus took leave from Philemon with Philemon's permission and sought Paul as a mediator between Onesimus and Philemon. Either way, Paul's not focused so much on the sin that happened, but the purpose for it. When he says, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. What Paul is drawing Philemon's attention to is that God has worked this out to bring salvation to Onesimus. He's worked it out for good. And whenever you see a, a words like this in the, in the Bible, this, what they call it, a divine passive. Verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you. Paul is pointing out that ultimately, God is behind this. God is the one that is doing this. And that Philemon ought not get in the way of that. Now, maybe you're thinking, Eric, you don't know my situation. I've done something a lot worse than what Philemon has done, or what Onesimus has done. Or I've been sinned against in a much worse way than Philemon 
was sinned against, how is it that I can expect God to bring this situation to good? How can he work good out of this? I don't know your situation. (laughs) I don't know the solution particular to you, but I do know one thing. The worst thing that has ever happened in this world has brought the most good to this world. The worst sin that ever happened was when Jesus was crucified. The worst thing that ever happened in this world was when the Son of God, perfect man, completely innocent, was crucified as a criminal. But we call that Good Friday because God used that situation for good. Christ bore our sins on his shoulders. Our sins can be forgiven. It worked out for good for Christ because he was raised three days later and he sits at the throne in heaven over all of creation, over all the universe. And if God can work that out for good, if God can work this thing between Onesimus and Philemon out for good, there is hope that God can work what you're going through out for good too. The second question is, what does more than a slave mean? Our quick reaction is to assume that uh, Paul is saying, Philemon, you need to make Onesimus no longer a slave. He needs to be more than a slave, no longer a slave to you, and you need to free him from his slavery. That might not be the best thing for Onesimus. Uh, Greco-Roman slavery is much different than the slavery we think of from our American history books. It was not based on race. Um, Oftentimes, slaves loved their masters. Uh, People could become slaves intentionally in order to avoid the harsh economic realities in the Roman world back then. So it might not be the best thing for Onesimus to be re-exposed to those harsh economic realities. But my inkling is that Paul is hinting that Philemon ought to free Onesimus. And I get that from verse 17, or verse 16. At the very end, he says that he's received Onesimus back both in the flesh and in the Lord. So I think what Paul is getting at is he's telling Philemon, there's been a spiritual change in your relationship with Onesimus. You're one. You are united. You have fellowship in the Lord. And that spiritual change that you now have experienced ought to lead also to a social change as well. So I think that Paul is hinting. He's just hinting, but he's hinting throughout the second half of this letter that perhaps Philemon ought to free Onesimus. That might be the goodness in verse 14, uh, that he would not do anything without his consent in order that your goodness might be not by compulsion, but of your own free will. But then also in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. It seems to me like Paul is hinting that Philemon should free Onesimus, but he's just hinting at it because he wants that to be Philemon's choice. Reconciliation and forgiveness takes two attitudes. The person that has been sinned against needs to maintain an attitude of loving selflessness to be able to forgive the person that has wronged them. 
The person that has done the wrong, who has committed the sin, needs to really change. Not fake change, not temporary change. Change from the heart in order for reconciliation to actually happen. I'm not saying that somebody has to change in order to forgive them. So it's not like, well, I'll forgive you only if you change. It's not the point. The point is for true reconciliation to happen, there needs to be both sides of that coin. Love and repentance. But that's just the theory of it. How do we put this into practice? How does this actually happen in our relationships that have been cut in half by sin? That's what Paul gets into in verses 17 through 20. He points out four components of that process of forgiveness. Four things that need to happen for forgiveness to happen. First of all, verse 17, we need to affirm the unity that believers share in Christ. Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That partnership that they have is in the Lord. It's in the gospel. It's in the faith. It's in Christ. And Paul says, If you consider me your partner, receive him as you receive me. And in verse 12, he says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. Paul is highlighting the spiritual unity that now Philemon and Onesimus have, along with Paul. And it would be absurd for people who have been united in spiritual unity to continue to live in relational disunity. The oneness that we share in Christ is the condition for forgiveness. Secondly, it's right there still in verse 17. Receive him as you would receive me. This act of reception is a second component. So this is not, I forgive you, but we're not friends anymore. This is not, yeah, I forgive you because I'm supposed to, but I don't want to talk to you anymore. Philemon is to receive Onesimus back into a reconciled relationship. Thirdly, And this is the one that we try to avoid. This is the one that we do as much as we can to leave out of the equation. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all. So there, if, I assume is just like the if in verse 17. If we have partnership, and they do have partnership. If Onesimus has wronged you, he has wronged you. We need to acknowledge as the one who's committed the sin, that we have wronged the other person. So it's not, I'm sorry that that hurt you. It's not, I'm sorry about these consequences. It's, I sinned. I did wrong. I confess it. I admit it. I take responsibility for it. You have to admit that you are, in fact, in the wrong and admit the wrong that you did if you're going to be reconciled to the one you've sinned against. The fourth component is the one that makes Christian forgiveness unique. It's the unique feature of Christian forgiveness. It's the one that's unlike anything else that anybody in this world could ever hope for when it comes to forgiveness, and it's this. Find the third party who's offered to bear the sin 
on his shoulders. This is what Paul does here in verse 18. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul says, Philemon, don't worry about the damages. I got it covered. Send me the bill. I'll take care of it. Just you and you and Onesimus, make sure you get your relationship figured out. You guys get reconciled, and I'll pay the tab. Where did Paul get that idea? That when two unreconciled parties, because of the wedge of sin in between them, when that happens, it's good for a third party to step in, take this, the effects of that sin on themselves so that the two unreconciled parties could experience forgiveness and reconciliation. Where did Paul get that crazy idea? That's the gospel. That's what Christ did for him. Paul, a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians, who thought he was worshiping zealously the God of his forefathers, becomes saved and he realized that Jesus Christ bore on his own shoulders all the sins that Paul ever did so that he could truly be united to the one God of the universe. And because of that, Paul is able to step into this situation and take on the effects of Onesimus' sin. He embodies the gospel to bring Onesimus and Philemon together. This is when you know that you are beginning to really understand the gospel. Not just when you believe it or when you can articulate it, but when you live it and when you embody it. And that's what Paul is doing here for Philemon and Onesimus. Christians don't let bygones be bygones. There's no bridge in Wheaton that we point to and we say the water has gone under the bridge. We don't keep a rug in our homes to sweep sin underneath it. That's not how Christians do forgiveness. The person who's been sinned against and the person who has sinned with four hands put their hands on that sin and together place it on Christ's shoulders. He paid for it. He died for it. It's been taken care of. And because Christ is that third party is taking care of our sin, then we can finally come back together in a united relationship, a reconciled relationship. I've seen in this church people who have been grievously sinned against, horribly sinned against, forgive on the spot. Why? What makes forgiveness the natural inclination? It's that person has been saturated in the gospel. Wakes up every day amazed that God has forgiven them. How could they not forgive others? I've seen sin triangles in this church where down one side, forgiveness and reconciliation became a reality, and on the other side, it didn't. Why? Because down one side, there was a combination of loving selflessness and true repentance. And on the other side, there wasn't real change. Or the person who was sinned against wasn't willing to forgive. Because Jesus has paid the price for that sin wedge that comes between us. We can be put back together. 
Even if we're as dry as dead wood that's been chopped up, we can be brought back together, united, and planted in the soil of the gospel. Christ can do that. He can re-nourish your relationship by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you then begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your relationship. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Does it by his Spirit? It takes our responsibility, too. We have to really repent. We have to seek heart change, the heart change that only the gospel can do. We have to stay loving and selfless and be willing to do the sacrificial thing of forgiveness. But we can do it. We can be reconciled. Be reconciled. Work at it as long as it takes. Do it because God, through Christ, has reconciled himself to you. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you have reconciled us to you. It cost you your son. And I pray that on the basis of that, you would work through everyone here in whatever situation they've been thinking about during this time. Bring the power of the gospel to them so that they can experience the reconciliation that you provide in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.